0: Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford.
1: Welcome to a very special episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. This one is titled The Best of 2017. So we've compiled all of the best parts from all of the podcasts across the year, and we've put them into this one episode. And what I really enjoy is when someone replies to an email that I've sent out Or they just let me know um, through our Facebook page, just of episodes that they've enjoyed, some things that they've learned, taken away and changed as part of their, their swimming or their diet or their life. And they've been able to make a change to their life, just based on listening to this podcast and some of the guests that we have on. So if you do enjoy the podcast, or there's some things you'd like to see more of or less of, let me know. I really enjoy hearing back from people. So don't be afraid to hit reply to any of the emails if you're on our newsletter. And if you haven't got our app yet, that's in the Google Play Store or on the iTunes Store, search Effortless Swimming, our app will come up and you can download our free app, which will give you direct access to all of our podcasts. So you can get notified directly from on your phone when there's a new episode up. It's also got all of our YouTube videos, all of our clinics and camps on there. And if you're an Effortless Swimming member, you can log in directly through the app just to make it really easy to, uh, to use the membership. So thank you for everyone listening this year. I appreciate all the feedback and the comments, and I'm really looking forward to next year. So we've got uh, we've got the Hell Camp coming up again in Thailand. I'm looking to add another camp location, which I will um, hopefully announce soon once it's all organised. And our freestyle clinics, we're looking to to make some upgrades to it as well to to change it and improve it because it's. I never want to get stuck just doing the same thing. I always look for ways to do things better. So what I'm looking to do for next year is just change things up slightly. The freestyle clinics based on some things I've been testing recently and uh, I'm looking forward to putting those into practice. So thank you very much for a big year. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think of this podcast and let me know what else you'd like to hear more of. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you in 2018. One one of the things that sticks in my mind is you're talking. You run a a spin class um, up up near your place, sort of north of north of Melbourne there. And you said uh, a couple of the people who had done the spin class were coming up to you afterwards, and I think they were talking about wondering about weight loss and like they're doing all this training, but um, but the but the weight's not coming off. And you said, let me guess what you are eating for, for <laughs> breakfast and lunch, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and you guessed it, pretty much spot on. And uh, and they go, well how do you how do you know that and you just said well you sort of mentioned mentioned all of that stuff so um yeah like what let, let's give that for an example like talking about one of the people who has come up after spin class wondering about how they can lose the weight as they're doing all this training um yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk okay about
2: that? yeah well there's two there's, firstly there's this lovely young girl and I've written this on a blog so if you guys want to read the full story about both clients they can. This girl, I, I won't say, let's say Gemma's her name, right? Uh, first spin class, you know, first spin class ever that I had these people, I, I talk about nutrition. And one of the things I just said was, look, you know, hey, you know, if you're a little bit overweight, really think about what you're eating. I only eat two meals, two to three meals a day. I don't eat snacks and I train 70 hours a week. And then one of them said, what the hell, what do you mean? You know, I'm always starving. And I, and I, I said to the class, I said, okay, so if you're having cereal or toast for breakfast, Or avocado smash on toast because it's trendy, and then you're having a muffin for morning tea or yogurt with fruit. I said the same thing as I did before have an omelette, have this, 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 don't have toast, don't have orange juice, and try this for a couple of days and see how you feel. Well, the next week, this young girl comes up to me and basically goes, I've done that every morning and I haven't been hungry till one o'clock. I've never, and this girl's like 22, she says, I've never been like that in my life. You've changed my life. I said, I haven't done nothing yet. I said, Now this is what you need to do. So I just gave her some advice, and then I think it was five weeks later she came into class, and it was hilarious. She's talking to her friend. She goes, Andre, have a look at this. And it was a photo of a girl with her hands on her boobs and standing there in her knickers like, you know, you see on how people sometimes take photos of themselves in the mirror. And there was one photo next to the other, and it was like, wow, what's that? It was totally different. Like she'd lost... I oh, know. I think she said she'd lost like eight kilos in five weeks, or something like that. And she says, "I just did what you told me. Look at the difference. Uh, it's, I never ever thought I'd look like this." And I said, "Well, it's more about looks. It's how you feel and stuff." So that's one example. And then she's gone on to share that with about three hundred of her girlfriends, and they all think she's a legend. So that that's fantastic. But one of them is a guy who came to my first spin class at another club, and. I did the class, and I'm walking at the top of the stairs. He's walking up the stairs at the end. He goes, oh, mate, that was a great class. Gee, you're lean. You must train heaps. And I knew where the conversation was going to go because he was a little bit overweight. He's probably 105 kilos, and he's a bit taller than me. And um, and essentially, I said, oh, well, yeah, I do, but it's not about that. It's all about the food. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, how many times do you come to the gym a week? He goes, oh, six times, and oh, it kills me, and I'm tired, and and I can't lose this tummy, I said, all right, when you go home, because this was 6 o'clock, class finished at 7, I said, go home, have an omelet da no toast, no orange juice, no grog, no pasta bread, blah, blah. You know. I said, do that for a couple of weeks or do that for a couple of days. And I said, what I want you to do is ring me this afternoon and tell me how it is. He rang me at 4 or 5 o'clock saying, I've never felt like this in my life after one day. So (laughs) I said, do this for another three or four days and see what happens. Well, the following Monday, he came to class. He said, right, I want to sign up to your program. So he paid me whatever he paid me, and he's been doing it now for two months, and he's lost, I think, 12 kilos, and he's having to replace all his clothes. His whole family thinks he's a legend. He stopped drinking alcohol because he was drinking a lot of alcohol. He's only eating two times a day. Sometimes he's only eating one times a day. It's He said it's totally changed his life. So to be able to... To be able to have the joy to teach people in group fitness and then have people change their lives like that, it's just fantastic because he will never go back to what he used to do.
1: Here we go again, some more drills because I've just been hammered with them at at training. And then you'll get some people who've never done them before. And then probably half the people have have done done them before and they think they're great, but they don't quite understand the reason behind them. And so the reason mm. we do them is because often the mistakes that we see in the video analysis, they'll come out in the drills. So for example, if someone is uh, there entering and extending forward in freestyle, if their fingertips are coming up to the surface and sort of putting the brakes on it, that's going to slow them down. And when we do some of the basic kicking drills on their front with the hands out in front of them, that floor or that area will come into that drill so those the fingertips will come back up so if we can get them to make that change within the drill and get the feel for the the right thing to be doing then it becomes a whole lot easier to change it in their swim stroke whereas yep. if they try and just do that without going through the drill it can be a lot harder to actually know what you want to achieve uh, in the stroke so that's that's why we do do the drills and it's uh, it, a lot of times coaches just aren't explaining the why behind them that that's why yeah. you gets them. Who roll their eyes at the the word drills?
3: Yeah, and and as you said there, like the drills, drills are a perfect way to actually identify weaknesses in in movements and in performances of athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we use. And, you know, we use the ankling drill for foot strike. So we want to look at how an athlete's striking the ground with their foot. We look at foot recovery drills. Uh, we look at full stride cycle drills as well. Um, and then once we've looked at everything from the belly button down, then we'll start looking belly button up and have a look at what's happening through the torso and through the movements of the arms. And just being able to break that down, as you said, and break it down in specific drills, you can identify what needs to be corrected. And I think one of the really um, cool things that we can bring into athletic training as well, and you can do this in any sport and swimming key as well, is once a coach has been able to identify where the weaknesses are in a specific athlete and they can give them the drills to rectify that, then allowing each athlete to have their own warm-up period rather than having a whole squad of people doing the same warm-up, you know, the same mobility exercises and you know, getting them ready to then come into the conditioning phase for the coach. But if we can find a way to do individual warm-up and individual athletic prep work for each young athlete so that we can work on their weaknesses and make their weaknesses then a strength- um, and then pull them into the conditioning phase together as a squad, um, but allow them to work on those little things that they need to work on uh, in their warm up before, before they come together as a team.
1: For most sessions, I know the the swimmers will do a dry land warm up, and there's a, a bit of a process that they they follow, and and the, all the swimmers know what it is, and they've got to, you know, someone will will lead the warm up, and these are sometimes a nine 10 year old kids who are leading a group of 15 other kids through the warm-up and you know just giving the responsibility even to really young people they're not you know these kids are smart they pick up on things very quickly and they want to take on that responsibility and they they want to you know lead lead a group like that so even just little things like that i see as being quite different than uh, i see in many other clubs and squads
4: well, I guess I learned that from I learned that from Sam. I mean, I, I I guess I haven't really seen it until Sam brought it in. And he he's all about uh, young people bringing young people out who don't get in the voice. I mean, there's a lot of a uh, lot of young kids out there uh, who don't get the opportunity to lead, and they're very good leaders in their own right because you've got a few extrovert kids today who'll always put their hand up and want to lead. So he's all about others sharing the lead and and uh and taking on the taking on the session and, and you know running the program and and once the kids have confidence and they know that they can do that and they don't get put down or they don't get talked over then it works really well and and Sam's been outstanding at that and look, we, and look we can we can go anywhere and we can get any kid to say, "Well you lead, and off they go and and even if even if there's no coach there, the swimmer's just know, well, this is what we've got to do, let's start you know we're supposed to be at nine thirty if um something's happening, no coach there, whatever it is may be, they just get their warm up done and off they go, and it's nothing better to watch a young group of people take responsibility for themselves and and um and get their warm up done it's just it's look it's watch. All coaches should aspire to. Otherwise, you know, if, if the coach needs to be there for the program to run, um, it's, it's really not what you want. I mean, the, I always say one of my philosophies is you are what you are when no one's watching. And if the program kicks on while no one's watching, well, you're doing something right. So, uh, I take my hats off to Sam Fenton for that one.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. I, I love. Um, I mean, I saw that attitude. What was it last last week? Had uh, um, a brother and sister from. The, the swim club who came along to, to one of our clinics. And we um, uh, had to demonstrate a, a drill and um, and the young girl, she put her hand straight up saying, I'll demonstrate. And this is in a group of adults and kids. And she was the youngest one there, but she put her hand up to, to demonstrate um, this drill and just didn't hold back, didn't have any fear, whereas everyone else you know wouldn't, wouldn't dare to put their hand up to, um, to sort of do this in front of a, a group of people there. So that sort of attitude Pays off a lot, not only as a um, you know, in that that swimming environment, but outside of the swimming environment in school and work. And I've, I see a often a, a big difference between um, you know the, the kids who have gone through that sort of thing with with sport and particularly you know, through the trail and swimming club, um, and and how that plays out in their their life outside of it because they they're not afraid to be seen and be heard, put their hand up, uh, introduce themselves to to people like just saying hello and goodbye, just the basics like that don 't don 't get taught in school, and there 's not even a lot of clubs or, or sports out there where they just teach the the basics like like that and it, it ma- makes a huge difference to how you can progress um, in in work, especially uh, later on in life
4: well particularly i mean yeah, look it 's with the, I know who you 're referring to there the young girl olivia and um, and her her brother i mean they they came to the club and they were very quiet, shy, young kids. And look, and we're going to allude to this anyhow. I mean, when a young person comes into the program or any program that I, I take over, they've got to learn some basic skills and just some basic life skills. And the first thing they've got to learn is to come in and say hello to me. I mean, just use my name and I'll use your name. It's very, very simple. And, it, and then the, then everyone, you know, we open the lines of communication and just look me in the eye, um, get your hands out of your pocket, stand up tall uh, don 't be afraid to uh, uh, look i 've I've got a number of very simple um, people people principles number one is say hello uh, say goodbye when they leave they 've got to say goodbye, give me a high five and say goodbye all the time um, have say you know, say please if you want something, say thank you when you get it. If you make a mistake, just say look you 're sorry um, don't don 't cover things up nothing worse than that. And the most important one is use my name because the name is the most is the most powerful part of a, a person's being, and you know you're given a name, you should be proud of it your, your parents gave you that name, so use my name um, when you want something so and other things like look when when I talk as a coach, you make sure you listen very hard, and when you talk as a swimmer, I'll listen to you even harder uh these are These are just basic principles of dealing with people and and around that sort of you know, those sort of principles, and you get kids to lead in that environment, you know that everyone is treated the same. They're all, everyone's on that same base, they have to have the same values, they have to have the same principles we, we operate on, and that creates your culture. And the culture then is set, and then when you go outside somewhere else, you usually don't get that sort of strict culture out there. So where you've got Olivia coming along saying, oh, can I, you know, can someone here, she puts out, that's what she naturally does. Yeah, I want to lead, I want to, I want to be part of this. So, to her to put a hand up, that makes me very proud to hear that. So uh, it's um, and it's, it can start from a very young age. Get confidence in kids from a very young age, and they'll be awesome adults when they when they turn into adults.
5: Most athletes, and and this doesn't even just go for athletes. This goes. For any given day, whether you're in a job, whether you're, you know, just just <laughs> trying to have a great Saturday, most people, when they wake up, when they get to practice, when they get to um, a competition, day, they, they, the first thing they think about is what's missing. I feel a little off today. Maybe maybe I feel like I'm only at 80% today, and and so now. I'm missing 20%. Oh, no. Why is it missing? What's wrong? How is that going to affect me? Instead of focusing on I've got 80% to give, so I'm going to give 80% today.
1: It took me a couple of years to learn that when I was Mm -hmm. um, a teenager competing. It was probably 15, 16 years old that after uh, doing it for for a number of years, we're in the warm-up. I, I used to base how I think I would swim based on how I felt in the warm up and my times in the warm up. But often, there, <laughs> the correlation was actually if I felt like crap in the warm up and if my times were off a little bit, that would be sometimes that the best that I would race. And so, um, right. then,
5: then, why was, do you want to peak in the warm up? Yeah,
1: that's. that's <laughs> you don't want to peak in the
5: warm up, you want to peak in the race.
1: And there was no, there was no sort of cor- yeah, correlation there with how I, I felt in the warm up to what my times would be so it, um, it took but it took a couple of years just to actually accept that and, and learn it um, so f- for someone who um, for someone who is maybe struggling with whether it's like day-to-day life if they're um, you know something bad has happened during the day and, and they're focusing on what's missing or if they're in the warm-up and they're sore and they're heavy, and their focus is going to that instead of what they have got. What are some strategies that they can use to help focus on the right things?
5: Yeah. Um, I had one swimmer um, write down, literally sit there and write down every single thing that she brought to the table, everything that was, all the things that were her strength that she naturally did, um, that just, just that she's a hard worker. She's, she's willing to make sacrifices, all of her strengths. Um, uh, and, and then even not just strengths, but all of the work that she had put in every, all of the, the, the work on, on her kick count, the work on her turns. Um, and, and she wrote down everything that was good, everything that she, that she really brought into helping her compete well. And and so I'll tell you this. Funny thing was, at first when I had her write it down, she could she could barely get a few down. I mean, it, because it's so hard to naturally think about the strengths that we already possess and what helps us do well, what helps us compete well, what helps us have a good day. It's so easy to think about the things, like I said before, the things we're missing or the things that hold us back. Um, so you have to you have to train yourself to, to focus, yes, on the positive. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's something that's, that's said, you know, every day, especially in the field that I'm working on, working in focus on the positive. Absolutely. But, but focus on, on the things that you have control over and, and the things that, that actually help you and help your day, the things that you can do. I mean, for instance um. For, for instance, if you come into to wake up one day and, and you're feeling it, say I, I'm at, on a scale of one to ten, I'm feeling like a four today. Like I don't have much energy, I'm dragging, um, I had a late night last night, didn't sleep too well, I'm feeling at a four. Most people look at it and they say, well crap, you know, I'm, I, I should be higher. Instead, look at that four, putting a number to anything helps. Because it just makes it tangible. Say, I'm at a four. What am I going to do today to move from a four to a five? Not a four to a nine. Not a four to an eight. But what is one thing that I'm going to do today to move from a four to a five? Maybe that's I get a workout in. Because the workouts really, really make me feel better. Maybe it's I go have you know coffee or, or lunch with someone that that I know is going to cheer me up. That they're going to push me, get me more driven that day. Um, but if you if you focus on what can I do to just feel a little better, to get a little better, to, to put forth a little bit more effort. Then all of a sudden it comes back on you and you have more control over every single day. It's a choice. It it yes, things around things in the outside happen to you. Yes, the you're put in difficult positions. Yes, it can be challenging. Yes, things can be thrown at you that completely knock you down. But every day, you have a choice to do something that's going to help you get better and put you in a better mindset and put you in a better position to succeed, or to you also have a choice to allow everything around you that's happening to affect you and keep you where you are.
6: Um, it's, it's just... I think it resonates with people that, that they're like, oh, well, she can do it, then I can do it, and um, it kind of it kind of feeds on itself when you see someone that looks like you. I mean, the cover of my book is a picture of me in a tri suit, and I always think like if people are in bookstores, they probably put the brakes on and go, what the hell is that? <laughs> because it's it's like you know, but it's 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 talking about how it's triathlon for the, every woman, like if you know, no matter what size you are, you can do this sport. I mean, there's certain things you have to do. And I'm also really big on, um, educating. So, you know, while you can try a sport in any size you should also be a good student of the sport you know you should learn the rules and you should be prepared for your races i mean even if you're not going to be the fastest one out there you have a duty and a responsibility to be a responsible racer and to be a courteous racer and to stay on the right (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that so um it's just kind of turned into a really neat community of people um who want to want to be better people and, and use the sport of triathlon to become better people and that and that's what what my mission is really is just to kind of use fitness and triathlon to show women and men um we have men in our tri club too that you know there's a lot that lot you can do and and grow through getting to know yourself through this ridiculous sport with a sense of humor
1: (laughs) well you've gone from we're talking about just before and you've gone from a roughly a two minutes to 205 sort of pace for a sprint distance triathlon down to um you did port Iron ironman recently which is 1.9 k and you're around the 140 mark per 100 for that so that's yep. like 20 25 seconds per 100 faster across a distance which is you know sort of doubling a bit for what you were used to and that's and that's in the space of let's say uh, I mean, even if it was sort of twelve months from when you very when you started the the clinic, like that's a that's a massive jump in the space of twelve months. So what I want to sort of cover a little bit is some of the changes you've made to your technique and training and and those sorts of things in order yeah. to do that. Because I'd say the majority of people who, who sort of come to us, they a lot of them are around that two minutes plus range, and um, I think. Having you made that huge jump, it's, it's a good insight into um, h- how someone's gone from from that and to get well under the, the two minute pace. So, um, I mean, first of all, technique. So, what what do you focus on now when you're swimming, as opposed to what you were focusing on beforehand? Um, I think the funny thing
7: is, like, I've always been a big swimmer. I've always found lots of distance. Um, so. I think that the change for me has been um focus- like focusing really on what I'm doing, like instead of just swimming. Like I think I just used to go to the pool and swim and um whatever like my set said I'd do the distance or whatever. But I think since going to Hell Week I actually really learned about um why I was doing things so why I was actually implementing drills or why I was you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so I was thinking about it with quality swimming instead of just quantity. Like I think before, like I don't think my um, quantity has changed so much. I don't think I'm swimming further, really, because I've always, you know, been quite capable of doing long pool sets. Um, but I think it's actually when I do a drill, I don't just do it because there's a drill there. I do it because I know there's a, there's a purpose for it and making my swimming more purposeful. I really think that's it. I think um, that's the only real thing that's changed, as well as consistency, like my consistency with my training has been heaps better. Um, and I don't live where there's pools in winter. So I have to travel to swim and just making the effort to not drop swim sets like over winter and that sort of thing. Whereas before I would, but before I'd sort of do you know do seasonal ramp it up in triathlon
1: season and not so much, but I've seen that consistency is actually better for me. What What do you kind of look for, uh, like when someone comes to the, the swim lab where you are, do you, what's the first thing you, you get them to do and, and what do you look for to kind of um, break it down?
8: The first thing I look for is I watch people walk down the hall and I look at their posture and I look at, how they move to see if they move well because to me especially for triathlon swimming I've always said it's like surf paddling and salsa dancing at the same time so very often I'll get somebody that's really tight in their hip flexors lower lumbar IT band so getting them to move or even up kick or do a navel swivel is really hard so and then I try to go with what somebody's doing right and what's easy for them because I don't feel like I'm gonna totally be able to revamp someone but there's always something that people are doing right like even you know I'll get runners come in and they're 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 rhythmic they they can move sometimes they're a little too controlled where they don't need to be controlled, like through the air, but I do try to look at what they're doing right and then a lot of times I'll just use tools or drills to get them so they're not thinking because the thinking sometimes can be a huge problem and then, you know, they get in the swim and they're actually thinking way too much and and not even remembering that they need to enjoy it and they're doing for it for fun you know most people aren't gonna make the olympic team in their swim and the whole point is to really remember why they're doing it and you know it's a pretty much a celebration of their own fitness and their lifestyle and and to remember to enjoy themselves is really important
1: yeah i i can relate to that and i was i was listening to an audio audio book um last week i can't remember what it was but one of the, the the premises of the of part of this book was the reason that people like to do do things and it doesn't matter what it is like you could, all the thousands of different jobs there are out there or the thousands of different sports they could do what people actually get satisfaction from is the, the positive feedback loop so if, if for swimming for example it might be you make this slight change to what you're doing in the recovery part of the stroke and you see your times get faster or it feels easier and that positive feedback loop well i I actually quite enjoy swimming and then you might change a different aspect of your stroke or you might change what you're doing in your training and and continuous positive feedback loop is what people actually enjoy and and so i was thinking about that and you know how it relates to the work that you do or or, or the sport that you do that you know for me i think about the coaching i get a real kick out of you know whether it's doing a podcast like this and someone saying you know I really enjoyed that podcast with any what you mentioned here helped me take five seconds off my 100 meter pace and that's what I I really get a kick out of and I think it's the same thing for when I'm training in the pool is you know I can see that I put in the hard work for for a training session I can see the results so um yeah I really like that that approach to working with people where it's not about you you may not be making the Olympic team but it's about You enjoying yourself having fun with it and yeah and hopefully seeing some improvement as you go
8: well and i I always call them opportunities for greatness and when you're young you have you know a french test on thursday and a track meet on saturday but the older you get you really need to find those opportunities for greatness and by either entering something or working on your fitness and I really think it helps keep people alive and feel you know that enjoyment of going after something
1: so for somebody who's listening to this and uh they might be in a similar uh, mindset or situation with their their swim time where they're you know maybe a little bit frustrated with with where they're at what things would you have them look at in terms of their training or their race strategy like what was it for you that kind of what introspection did um, helped you kind of have that really good swim at Basso.
4: It was just sitting down and assessing what swims I was actually doing. It's quite easy to turn up to a squad and do do a set. Um, well, it depends on the set, of course. But you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're just either following the person in front or looking at the clock and just more often than not just trying to get through the set or even survive the set, whereas sitting down and actually looking at what i was missing in my swimming or what i actually needed in my swimming i mean i, I was doing the sprint stuff but probably not the quality sorry not the quantity that i needed so actually sitting down and looking at what i was doing
1: absolutely in and- my niece actually just started doing gymnastics, I think it was last week, and like, she's only young. She's probably not even two years of age yet, but just the very basic stuff. They it's, it's mostly games and things like that, but I thought, geez, it's such a... Gymnastics should be something that they teach in school because the ability to move your body and have that kind of awareness and, and strength and flexibility, that carries on through... For the rest of your life i think it's that sort of awareness will help in any sport whether it's swimming whether it's football so i really um can really just see the importance of it and particularly with swimming like we for the the swimmers who come to us and they're in that sort of more not elite range but just even top 10 top 20 percent for their age group in in triathlon or swimming it's often just these quite minor changes they're looking to make. So talking about, let's say, move your hand placement one or two centimeters, very subtle changes. And one of the big things that I uh, I often try and get people to do is basically from the point where they their hand enters the water in freestyle to the point where they extend out in front, and then they're about halfway through the pool. I like them to try and have a, an elevated wrist so basically the hand should be angled just slightly down from forearm so that way yep. you, you can hold you've got this big paddle to work with as soon as you let that hand come back from the the forearm or back from the wrist you lose half your paddle and, and you lose a lot of feel for the water and i see that takes a lot of time for people to get the feel for because their natural whether it's habit or just training those changing the neural pathways to hold that position they just can take a while to get used to that change so yeah that's why i see the the body awareness is is so important and like i've done i think yoga classes and pilates classes in front of a mirror and even just how you feel something is is often very different than how it actually looks so having that sort of feedback from either a teacher a coach or the mirror is really helpful
9: I mean, absolutely. It's like if you're swimming, swimming on your own, and you don't have a coach, right? And you might be feeling certain things, but you, you really have no idea. One of the things that I say to you, say, say to people that I work with now in yoga, it's funny how much I coach full time for basically close to 20 years. And how much of my coaching, just even the exact things that I used to say to athletes that come into the yoga classes. And one of them is when wrong feels right, right feels wrong. wrong and feels
1: right, right feels wrong. Yes, yes, spot on. <laughs> I had to get my head yeah. around that.
9: <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? The first time you hear it it's like, uh, okay, yeah. But yeah, that's and that's the biggest thing because it it really challenges your brain then, right? And when you look at it, it's when you can gather in that feedback on your mat and when you're, you know, and this is one of the things that I really do when crafting yoga for swimmers is you look at those points that they're gonna get themselves into in the water and you have them doing a lot of those same things, but just in different angles or in different positioning. And obviously you're having to work against gravity and not buoyancy, right? So you're still using a lot of that same engagement, a lot of the same neural pathways, but it's challenging it in an unfamiliar environment. So you have to learn to read your body with those engagements even more. So I think that's one of the beauties of yoga and how you can relate it right back to the water.
1: One of the things we um, we talk about at the start is like kind of the, the rotation that the elbow makes as it goes from the, the catch position, so the extension position out in front and then moves into the, the catch and pull through, where yeah. so you can get the forearm, the hand pressing back and get that forearm vertical. So we, we kind of go through this exercise where we get people to make this rotation with their elbow. Um, mm. And we show them some some videos of it to show them what elite swimmers do compared to those that aren't quite as good. And yeah. and we go through that, but then there'd be maybe 1% of people who could actually just translate that into their swim without drills, but everyone else is going to need to go through some different sort of drills or exercises in the water to build up that feeling to make it a part of their, their stroke.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to me, I mean everything's everything's in physical activity as a, a memory based system and whether you know it's all neuromuscular memory and just memory in itself, but for the pathways to be developed neurally, it takes repetition of doing something a certain way. And so yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. You need to be doing and, and that's why sometimes you need to compartmentalize areas of the stroke and specific Work on those areas, uh, maybe even take it onto dry land and, and work in a kinesic way through through dry land movements and then try and bring that into the pool. But without the repetition of and the habit forming of doing something the right way, though you know those those neural pathways they aren't strengthened and the myelin sheath between the neurons aren't aren't strengthened. Uh, so as soon as someone then goes back into a work related set, uh, they quite often they'll slip out of the patterns that you're trying to develop. So, you know, I've always been quite a firm believer in in trying to get stuff right before too much work is put onto an athlete. Uh, Because I think through tiredness, swimmers tend to find the path of least resistance uh, in terms of muscular tiredness. And it's it's often the most correct stroke that is the most tiring stroke. And, and so something will give at some point if, if the work is is unrelative to what you're trying to change technically.
1: Oh, that's, it's so true. I, to give you an example of that, uh, two weeks ago, I went to um, there's a, a swim lab, which is basically an endless pool with some cameras set up. Uh, I went to the, the swim lab, which I've set up near where I live, actually, and just got some footage taken of my stroke because it'd been at least a year and a half since I'd, I'd done that. And then I had a look at it and there's a few things I wanted to change. And and so over the last two weeks, I've been working on, on changing those things. And yesterday, and it's, it's starting to come together with some slower swimming, but it's very hard to hold at pace for more than 25 or 50 meters. But it's, yeah. it's a lot more fatiguing than what I'm used to. So I feel like if I was to do a, an open water swim of 2K, i'm just going to go back to my old ways and yesterday i did a i was about a part of the main set was just a k with uh with a pull boy on uh, it was aerobic pace but i was going a little bit harder but uh, after 100 meters or so my stroke was just going straight back to normal and you know it's going to take me probably four five or six weeks of constant focus and practice to actually make that stroke number one feel good um, uh, but number two to be able to to maintain it and and do it without feeling like it's a lot more work and so like one of the things I, I get a bit of is someone will like we might do a session together or they'll come to a clinic and the next session they might be going slower and they might be a lot more fatigued and that's kind of what you you want um, if, if they're making changes because they're going to be using muscles that they're not used to that are weaker and it, it's going to take some time for them to actually build that up if they're not engaging their lats or they're not you know rotating enough and it's, it's going to feel very different It'll feel slower and unusual, but over the course of time, if they can just keep practicing that, even if it doesn't feel good, it's going to work out faster for them.
0: Yeah, that's so true. It reminds me of a concept that I, I picked up. I, one of my the fortunate areas of education that I went through being a high-performance sport New Zealand uh, coach was a course that they have over here, which is three-year coaching course called the Coach Accelerator Program. And one of the concepts we learned there was uh, an area that was described as the pit of discomfort. And apparently in all areas of learning, it's pretty much essential that you've got to go through the pit of discomfort to come out the other side of the pit to learn it and to develop it. But there will always be the the uncomfortableness of uh, learning something new at first. Uh, and the tiringness, especially for an athlete, of having to go through the repetitions of trying to do something completely different and completely new, and the, just the awkwardness of how things feel, you know. And I, I think that's a, a really important point for athletes that, that are learning, is that they. Might, it's something that I constantly try and reinforce with them, is that they have to be comfortable at being uncomfortable. Uh, if they want to improve, because it is, it is very much going through that uncomfortableness that's a sign that they are making some improvement. And it's, it sort of goes beyond logic, and everyone thinks you'll tell them something and it'll, it'll instantly work. But it's really very much a, a one step back to go two steps forward type of scenario. That is, it's more than what usually happens, it's what is supposed to happen. If the athletes can all understand that learning to get better is an uncomfortable thing to do, and if they are uncomfortable, they are probably making those right steps and, and moving forward as long as the coach's eye is on them and the coach is saying, yes, that is what I want you to do, uh, then it's probably a very good thing and they need to persevere with it
1: is there anything else that that comes to mind that you think would help someone who's preparing for a 20k swim or the rottenness swim anything that we haven't covered
10: listen i the first thing that i can think of and i think it's very important is you you must get your technique right before you do that sort of distance you know your 20ks because doing 20 kilometers with bad technique it's just a long way and if you just Correct, the angle of your hands, you know, the, the, where your high elbows or where your hand enters the water. This, it might make it a lot easier for the person and you don't get as tired, you know, and prevent injuries as well. i see seen people, you know, coming out you know, with uh, sore shoulders, but it actually had partial tears, you know, during the swim. So I think it's uh, very important to get the technique right. Prepare yourself mentally. You must go with a positive attitude because in the middle of the race, everything is going to start to hurt. You know, I mean, you might not be getting sunburned, but you, you have the sun, you're hungry and you're thirsty, but you can't drink that much. You know, you, you can't eat. And then you have the jellyfish as well. I mean, last year I didn't have, but you're getting stung by jellyfish. You need to be mentally prepared for this and expect the worst, really, you know, expect the worst to be in a lot of pain, but and and also expect the worst, but stay positive. It, you really have to sit and be comfortable with yourself and in your own company and make sure you're not going to go to the dark place because that's what um, makes it, uh, I think, it a bit traumatic of a swim. So um, just staying positive, really.
1: One of the mistakes i would make when i started coaching was to think that i could change someone's stroke and change someone's swimming in one session and while you can absolutely make some changes to your stroke in in the space of one hour two hours three hours if you're going to make that change a habit and if you're going to be able to maintain that when you're racing it's going to take you more than thinking about it for one or two hours it's probably going to take you a little over two months And there was a study released in the European Journal of Social Psychology by uh, a researcher, Philippa Lally, and her team of researchers. And they surveyed 96 people over a 12-week period to find out exactly how long it takes to start a new habit or to form a new habit, or to look at that differently, how how long it took them to replace an old habit. So if you think about that in terms of technique, well, how long is it going to take you to be able to maintain any changes that you're looking to make? And what they found over the course of 12 weeks was the, uh, the participants, they chose a new habit and reported each day how automatic the behavior felt. And at the end of the period, they analyzed the results and found that the average time it took for the participants to pick up a new habit was 66 days. And this is pretty much along the lines of what I've seen with swimmers who have come along to clinics or who join us in the membership. That's pretty much the length of time that, uh, that it takes someone to really see uh, dramatic improvements or dramatic changes in their stroke. So to think that you're going to be able to think about or, or or make a change to your stroke in the space of a couple of hours and be able to maintain that, it's very unrealistic. Certainly, you can make some improvements in a short space of time, but to then to be able to to maintain it and not have to think about it, it's going to take you a little over two months. So the rule of thumb I like to use for becoming a better swimmer or becoming better at anything really, is 66 days and 18 months. So the 66 days is how long it's going to take you to replace or change a habit. And the 18 months is how long I like to give something before you expect to see a dramatic improvement. Most people don't stick with something long enough. So let's say you want to train for the English Channel. You want to prepare for it. To try and do that without too much of a swimming background, to try and do that in six months is an unrealistic target. In all likelihood, you're going to have to prepare for 18 months, if not a little bit longer. I know swimmers who have uh, had this goal in mind and they've started two, three years out to build up to it because they want to be certain, they want to have that certainty that when they get, to, uh, they get over to England and they're ready to, to swim it, that they've done everything they can to prepare. So if you have the mindset of I'm going to stick at this thing for 18 months and if at the end of 18 months I'm not going to, uh, you know, I, I want to stop it or it's not something I want to do, um, then you know, that's a pretty good benchmark to know whether or not you, you know, you're going to succeed at this thing. But give it enough time to actually make a change. And if you think about how long it's going to take you to, uh, to become stronger, to become fitter, uh, to learn what you need to, uh, when it comes to to racing in swimming or triathlon, you know to to make mistakes and learn from them. It's going to be quite a long cycle, so have that long term mindset and think sixty six days as how long it's going to take you to replace any habits that you need to replace, and then eighteen months is the, the length of time that you should really uh, give something to give it a good shot to know whether or not it's something you want to stick with or, or it's the length of time you need to be able to uh, really see a dramatic improvement in whatever you're working towards. And Today's episode is about when to be in the moment with your swimming and when to be out of the moment. And if you've listened to any of our podcasts uh, from the past or watched any of our videos on YouTube uh, or the things that we put up at you you know we've got a big focus on deliberate practice doing and concentrating on the right things with every lap that you do, every stroke that you take, in order to change your habits and improve your technique. So when it comes to swimming, being in the moment is really important to continuous improvement and making those little gains over time to become a better swimmer. But there's also times where you're going to need to be out of the moment. You're going to have to project 5, 10, 15 years in the future and, and even two or three months into the future, and also look back at things that you've done and be grateful for some of the things that you've been able to put yourself through. So for example, if you're in the middle of a training session, you're towards the end of a set, and you're needing to dig deep, you're needing to push hard, sometimes it can help if you can look at that A race or your, your big event that you've got coming up, and to be able to sort of draw on the expectation that you've got for yourself and draw on the feelings that you want Uh, to to have and the results that you want to have in that race, to be able to think about that and keep it in the back of your mind as you're having to push hard at the end of a a workout or a training session. Whereas if you don't reflect on that, sometimes there may not be enough meaning or enough motivation there to drive you to work as hard as you, you could in that set. So being able to project into the future and be out of the moment for at least a little bit of that session or a little bit of that time when you're swimming um, that can you know it can make a big difference to how hard you, you push yourself and it also helps to look back so looking back over the last five years 10 years maybe 20 years and be able to reflect and be grateful for some of the things that you've been able to to do and been able to achieve so for me when i look back at the early mornings that i had as i was going through school where I'd get up at 4:15 in the morning, would go through a 45-minute to an hour gym session, and then a, an hour, hour and a half training session in the pool. Be finished by 7:30 before most kids have actually woken up. I look back at and look back at that and think how lucky I was to have that opportunity and to go through that sort of uh, development and um, chance to to push myself and challenge myself at such a young age when it's not something that's available to a lot of people when I have that sort of mindset and look back on it that way it's very different than if I think well I missed out on so much sleep or I missed out on a couple of parties here and there as I was growing up very different way to think about things so being able to be out of the moment where you're projecting forward you're looking at what you've got coming up and and what you want to achieve over the next five ten years of your life And being able to look backwards as well and reflect on um, how much you appreciate or how grateful you were for the opportunities and you've had and the things that you've done in the past, it changes the way you think about uh, your exercise, your swimming and your sport. So for me, if I have to get up early in the morning and I miss out on a few hours sleep and I might have only got five hours, if I think about how lucky I am to have this opportunity to test myself and challenge myself, I think about that. That workout very differently than if I'm begrudgingly getting out of bed, thinking about how much I want to go back to sleep. So it just changes the way you think about things. So to have that that balance of being in the moment and being out of the moment can help you develop as an athlete. And if you've looked at uh, any of the videos that we've put up on YouTube recently, one of the things you know is we like to, or I like to avoid extreme ideologies. So if you go too far one way or the other. Chances are it's not one hundred percent correct. So to be somewhere in the middle when it comes to, you know, for for me, I, I think of the different ways that we like to teach swimming and and coach freestyle. Not everyone's going to swim exactly the same. There's very different styles when it comes to freestyle technique and and teaching people what works best for them. So that's why I don't like to teach. There's only this is the one way to swim fast. We adapt what we're coaching to whoever we're working with. So to be able to uh to be able to sort of go back and forth and, and find that optimum for each person is is what we like to aim for it's not black and white and so that's why it's sort of you've got to be in the moment you've got to be out of the moment and you've got to sort of switch between the two and you know, you're not going to have to be in the moment all the time
11: uh, we did the first video analysis and i actually saw myself swimming and I thought oh my god that is that is awful like where do I start where do we start to to fix this and I was like the arms are wrong the head's wrong the underwaters were awful and I was like oh my god Um, so and visually I'm a very visual person so seeing it seeing what I was doing wrong was very much a revelation for me and once I saw what I was doing wrong I could then visualise how to fix it and you told me what to do to fix it and um, so that made a big difference for me.
1: And how much were you training uh, back then 12-18 months ago and how much are you training today?
11: Um, back then I was training I was doing squad three times a week and now I'm probably in the pool doing squad five to six times a week.
1: Yeah nice and that's I mean my rule of thumb is you need to be Really need to be in the water three times a week to see uh, a good amount of improvement. Uh, and once you once you do step it up to that five or six times a week, and it's not possible for all triathletes because they're they're busy running and riding. But um, I know like you've just started um, triathlons, and but for the people who who can increase their their swim mileage each week and get in five or six times a week, it makes such a massive difference. And you you know you see that with your swimming as well. And so you're you're also doing competitions with masters and um, you've just started triathlons can you talk a little bit about that and when you started and and what got you into it um
11: I guess my coach at the time Todd Robinson got me into masters and I was absolutely terrified and I remember uh, marshalling for my first event and going oh my goodness I haven't been in the marshalling tent since I was about 12 years old and um yeah got in the water and just swam as fast as I could and yeah I had fun you know it wasn't as serious as what I thought it would be it was just fun Um, there's just all these people who want to be there who are happy to be there and they have a great day and yeah I really enjoy it I haven't done too much of masters Um, I just had a masters meet last weekend which was great and yeah really enjoy it really love it so when I can get there yeah it's really good
1: and I think it's, I really enjoy racing Masters as well. And I used to coach a Masters squad for about seven years. And um, I just, particularly for anyone who's 20, 21 years or older, it's a good way to just be able to compete and get, get a benchmark of where your, your speed's at, where your time's at, and uh, and just to be able to challenge yourself. Because I, I feel like that, those sorts of things, where you actually do get to test yourself and put yourself in competition mode, they're often the most rewarding things that you can do whether it's a running race or a swim race uh, or a triathlon just being able to um, put yourself to the test and and get your body to that stage where uh, you're trying to tell your mind to 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 shut up (laughs) because it wants you to to stop swimming or uh, you know just to be able to to challenge yourself physically in that way uh, and it's also a mental challenge i find that it helps a lot in other aspects of your your life as well and i you know we ran into each other in uh, in the gold coast where nationals was and um, and that was your first first meet wasn't it at masters nationals
11: uh that was my second masters meet and uh todd signed me up for all these races i think it was a 400 free a 200 free i think it was a 200 breaststroke and i can't remember what else and i'm going well, 400 free i can't do that and I I was just so nervous and the first, the 400 free was um, a disaster because I just, okay, okay, I've got to pace myself, I've got to calm down, relax, pace this out and I'll be fine and I just went hell for leather (laughs) off the blocks, and the first 50 was a PB, the first 100 was a PB, (laughs) the first 200 was a PB and I just had to hold on for the next 200 and it was yeah that was that was not good <laughs> but it was a bb because i've never done it before
1: so <laughs> yeah and that's the only way you you learn sometimes like you as much as you can learn from other people's mistakes when it comes to something like that it's you've often got to go through the feeling of of going too hard at the start to realize oh that's, this isn't good and uh yeah and, th- yep. and then once you get a bit more race experience you you can find that you pace it better and the same goes in training too like uh, one of the most noticeable differences i see between people who have got a fair bit of experience in the water and those that don't, is the ability to be able to hit the times that they're trying to hit and to be able to vary their pace. And that's probably something that you've, yep. you know, that you're probably doing quite well at now. I would assume is is that you can you can build through sets and you've got more than just one pace that a lot of people often start with when they begin swimming.
11: Yep. Um, Definitely at squad, doing squad uh, so many times a week um, and just getting used to, okay, this isn't easy, this is a moderate, this is a fast, this is a 70.3 pace. This is, you know, we go through all those and we practice swimming at all those different paces. So you really get to learn your stroke. And, you know, even if I'm swimming a 100, I can pretty much... I pretty much know before I'm finished what the time is going to be. I'm usually pretty close. Um, sometimes I'm surprised, a nice surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, doing a lot of that, um, getting to know your stroke and your pace and your stroke rate, and um, it just comes with time in the water. And I think because I'm just starting out at triathlons as well, you know, the running and the bike. It, time running and it's time on the bike as well. Like anything, you know, I I tell my kids, you get what you work for.
0: Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlesswimming.com.